You've entered a cave filled with spores, molds, and fungus. It's time to beam up from the surface, but something's wrong with the transporter. And someone just took Dr. McCoy's entire bottle of saurian brandy from sickbay. Captain to bridge. Welcome back to Spores, Molds, and Fungus, a podcast where we discuss things we can't stop thinking about, and maybe after listening, you won't be able to either. I'm one of the people who talks into a microphone. My name is Chris. And my name is Elizabeth. I'm very excited about today's episode. Yeah, me too. Very excited. Because today we are discussing Captain James Tiberius Kirk. Yeah, it's we've gone on a on a real journey with Captain Kirk throughout the pandemic. To further clarify, this the well, Captain Kirk we're talking about is the Captain Kirk from the original series. Correct. This has nothing to do zero nothing to do with Captain Kirk from the movies. Yeah, we're not interested in in the movie Kirk. We're not doing Chris Pine Kirk. No. We're not talking about any of that stuff. We're talking about the original, original series. series, Captain Kirk, gold shirt. You got it. Sometimes a green. Sometimes a green. And we're also focusing it on the character. We're not interested in delving into William Shatner himself and how his life has affected the portrayal or blah, blah, blah. I, you know, he's a person, but we're interested in his in his character. Yeah, this has nothing to do with William Shatner. Like the rest of my life. This has nothing to do with William Shatner. <laughs> it's a disclaimer I put on most things Before I do. we get started, this has nothing this to has do with no- William Shatner. I'm making myself lunch. It has nothing to do with William Shatner. Today, we're going to talk about Kirk because during the pandemic, what we've learned and enjoyed and appreciated is that on a certain cable network called H&I, Heroes and Legends, my favorite channel. is Heroes and Icons? Oh, yeah. What did I just say? H&I, Heroes and Legends. Do you think it was like a lowercase L? Heroes and lowercase L, (laughs) Legends. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. It's Heroes... And icons. Just make sure to credit them correctly. It's weird that they don't call it Heroes and Legends. That feels like a better name for a network. Maybe H&L was taken. There is a bar in town called Heroes and Legends. Mm, it's true. So maybe that's where it comes from. But I also feel like it's a better name for a cable network. I have notes. Heroes and Icons, I have notes. <laughs> Heroes and Icons shows Star Trek, the original series, every night, save Saturday, at 8 p.m. Pacific time. And this is a a key time for our house because it is when our two sons are getting ready for bed. Yeah. And so it's something to turn on and sometimes reward them with, sometimes escape into when they're being terrible. You would be answering your emails or grading after the kids had gone to sleep. And that's when I started turning it on and flipping through the TV stations because I could look at TV and not have to worry about... The boys coming in and being like, what's, what's that? Plus, it was what's like, that it was a show that I wasn't super invested in. So you could have it on in the background while I was working and I wouldn't be like, hey, I wanted to watch this one. Like, if I didn't understand what was happening or barely watched it, it made no difference to me. Right. It was like ephemeral in our house. But, but the interesting thing that's happened, well, I, I'm probably skipping ahead on your explanation. But the interesting thing that's happened is that it like sunk into my subconscious in a weird way where even though I wasn't actively watching it to enjoy it i then sort of got used to it and and grew to like have this strange attachment to it being there 
Yeah, exactly. Where it, it got to the point where you would watch it a little bit and then we would turn it off and watch something else. Yeah. That's what, and so I would be watching it and then it got to the point where I would turn it on to make you laugh. Where yes. you would see it. Where I'd be like, oh you'd my be God, grading Star Trek and you'd be like, again. oh God. And then you got kind of invested in it. And then we turn it off and we'd watch something else. Right. And it, it's like our pregame. Pregame. For the TV night. Like It's our tailgate party yeah. for um, Perry Mason. <laughs> turn it on to warm up for the do main a, attraction. Do a little calisthenics before you get into season one of Mindhunter. Uh, but yeah, we've had basically it's been on in our house six nights a week for months now. Right. And I think the thing that you and I both realized is that Captain Kirk himself is the main. Oh, I mean, this is obvious, but he's the main draw to the show. What we realized is that he's the protagonist of Star Trek. <laughs> he's the main. It's character. amazing. It was like, what's it's the deal with that guy? Crazy. He sits. He sits in the chair in the middle. Is he the main character of the People show? People listen to him. He, he gives orders and He's people do it. He's a very specific main character, though. Right. And also, for further context, I, I had some familiarity with Star Trek, because growing up when I was a kid, when I was nine, I discovered it and watched a bunch of it. And so this was kind of a rediscovery. That would be my Star Trek show, <laughs> Star Trek Rediscovery, where it's just me on the oh couch. If, oh, if I any of you this one. follow Chris on Twitter, I'm sure you're well aware of the Star Trek uh Oh, because I've got, I'm like just wading through it now. Yeah. And also, Star Trek, Star Trek results in great gifs. Isn't it gifs? Is it gifs? I, I don't know. know. I we say just, gifs. We, in we my did head. an episode of television about this. Uh, yeah, it's gifs or gifs. I like the Star Trek gifs. I made my own first gif using Star Trek during go. this pandemic. I started making gifs. That's how desperate we are for something. <laughs> resembling anything okay so yes so captain kirk is the main character as you pointed out of the show (laughs) (laughs) some people might not know this it took us several weeks to figure out that he was the main character of the show coded i mean it's more of an ensemble right you've got spock you've got dr mccoy Uh they're key to his identity Yes. We might talk about well, that a little bit. I'm going to delve a little bit into Okay, so into I think Kirk's without identity. further ado, we've, we've bullshitted enough about this. So let's let's go let's go into our little deep dives where we get really too specific about Captain Kirk. Okay. So, first of all, I just need to preface this by saying that Captain Kirk is not my type. <laughs> uh, I well, as as anyone who knows me knows, I watch TV primarily for the primal reason to find a mate. Whoa, I, it's very what? it's difficult to interest We've me. We've been in a, together for twelve years, and I had no, no idea. No, you know this about me. It's mm. difficult to interest me in a TV show where there's not a character that I'm going to find attractive. Like this is one of the problems. Like I didn't want to watch Chernobyl, not because I didn't want to watch people radiation melting, but because I didn't want to have sex with any of them. That was my main problem with that show. Um, you don't like the. Uh, the animal charisma of Jared Harris. I feel like this is <laughs> offensive to Stellan Skarsgård and No, it's no offense to them. They're just not they're just not compelling to me in that way. But they're compelling in other ways. Sure, they're great actors. But so, I love turning on Chernobyl and being like, "Who's hot?" That's how I operate. Who's hot in Chernobyl with, te- with television. So, not with movies, though, but television, for sure. You just want just ugly people in movies. Yeah, just the, the most ugliest, hideous just people the peop- you can find. I don't even want to. I can't even look at them. <laughs> You're wasting my time okay, on my sorry. deep dive. Okay. 
So, <laughs> so the main reason I bring this up is that one of the reasons I was not interested in watching Star Trek at first is that I'm not interested in any of the characters on there. <laughs> Take of- that, Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> no, What's I didn't. I don't find stuff? it. I don't find any of them attractive. But <sighs> something about Kirk started to seep into my subconscious. So. As we were preparing for this podcast, I started to try to unpack, like, what is it about Kirk as as a person? I know he's a fictional person, but what is it about that person that is charismatic and compelling, even if you don't believe him to be at first? But yeah, so, but you're, like, really interested in him now. I am. That's I'm why we're talking about that, this. Yeah, no, yeah, he, okay. he really got under my skin, and I was trying to figure out why. So I think... I'm going to go like a little academic for a moment here, but everybody knows that like many aspects of the social self are performed, right? Like you Everyone emphasize... knows this. No. Not, you... not everybody knows that Captain Kirk is the main character of Star Trek, but everybody <laughs> knows that elements of the self are performed. If you have an Instagram account, you understand performance of the self. At the shoe tree? Um, yeah. So... You, you emphasize certain modes of speech or exaggerate certain innate qualities depending on who you're with. Like there are some people who when you're talking to somebody on the phone, you start to sound like them, right? You take on accents. My dad does this. Yes. My and dad I, adopts accents of people he's talking to. Because your dad is a salesman, right? And yes, so he's a he, salesman. He's a salesman. A salesman. A former salesman. Death of the salesman. <laughs> so <laughs> he spent his life performing for people and giving people the version of himself that they are going to eat up, right? So I think, you know, one of the things that makes Kirk so intriguing is that there seems to be no self to the character outside of the performance. So I'm going to explain what this means. He's sort of this surreal soul with no inner life. Um, Like he's like a Lynchian exaggeration. Oh, neat. Um, Like Dennis Hopper in Blue, Blue Velvet? Yes. Like he's this bizarre performed thing that in itself has no nothing under the surface um so he's shallow he? well no okay so <laughs> i have to lay down a little groundwork so okay, yeah, there's this influential sociology book called the presentation of self in everyday life by irving goffman that's irving with an e-r-v not i-r-v oh, like like dr julius irving sure and um, it's one of the first times besides, you know, Shakespeare that you get an academic take on the way theater can be seen as a model for social interactions, right? Like all the world's a stage, all the men and women merely players. Um, we're Our all constantly doing, ended. yes, what Goffman calls um, impression management, which is trying to act in a way that will prevent ourselves or others from being embarrassed, right? Jeez. I mean, we're all constantly trying to make sure that no yeah. one is embarrassed subconsciously. Anytime a person is in front of others, their actions and words are essentially a performance that communicates information to the audience about that person, right? So you're always trying to, a lot of it is subconscious, but you're trying to convey aspects of yourself, whether that's, uh, I want people to understand that I'm intelligent from the language I'm using, or I want people to understand that I'm cool because I'm like, whatever, man, let's just go. <laughs> Do it. I'm enthralled. That was cool. Or like, that was a cool person right there. <laughs> well, like when I was a teenager, like uh, a teenage girl who hung out primarily with boys, I would perform the aspect of myself that's fine with like sitting back and watching video games and being like, cool, cool to guys. Oh, yeah, I like, remember that. Yeah. It's fun. I mean, we're kind of doing um, that right now to get super meta. Yeah, no, well, everybody's performing constantly, Because this right? is nothing like how we actually are. <laughs> okay. Sure, sure. Um, well, that's, yeah. So 
So you aren't always consciously aware of it, but it doesn't matter because the people around you are interpreting the signals that you give off and constructing their own version of you based on your performance, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So Goffman had this idea of front stage, backstage, and offstage, and this is where things get interesting for Kirk, for me. So there's three, there's these three areas. Front stage is where you know you're being watched, right? Mm -hmm. So that's like, if you're at work, right? And you are consciously, okay, I'm behaving according to the protocols of my workplace, right? Whatever Mm -hmm. that may be. Um, As a teacher, I would be performing for my students the role of teacher, right? Right. Um, And, you know, if you're in a social setting, you're probably performing your social self, right? Whether that's more enthusiastic than usual or for me, like... Hey, guys. Yeah. Or or like... God, it's great to see you. Yeah. Or like the aspect of me that you hate in social settings is I get very... Like I shut people down and only when um, you're very uncomfortable and then you just start to take, but you don't do that anymore to other people. You just do it to me now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're like, that's very, like, stupid, weird. Chris. And I'll be like, okay. <laughs> but I guess it's I'll a go function home, of that like social performance. Okay. We still have to unpack why that happens to me, but that's the next episode. Um, yeah. So for Kirk, I think the most obvious version of front stage is he's on the bridge, right? And he's giving yeah. commands, he's performing captain, Yeah, that's like his stage. Right? That's yeah, like his, I see that. It's his like his front stage. stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Off stage is where you leave the full performance behind, but you're performing for maybe one or two people individually and tailoring your performance to their needs, right? So that's that example of like your dad on the phone using like adopting sure, the accent of the But not person. doing like a full presentation. Correct. Or you're you're tailoring your presentation to that person. So like right, one you're person. thinking, what does this person need from me? I'm gonna give it to them. Right. So right. again, for Kirk, that's talking to Spock or trying to convince McCoy not to do something or asking Scotty for a favor, like right. performing those different aspects of his personality. Mm-hmm. And then everyone's supposed to have backstage. And backstage is where you are supposed to relax and not have to perform for anyone else so like if you're completely alone or if you're in like the perfect relationship right where you're like yeah we're just so comfortable with each other it's just like i just need to be myself and just like hang out you know yeah i'm just myself when i'm with them i just just don't have to so nice i don't have to put on anything you know any clothes um i don't have to put on anything yeah just walk around in an open robe (laughs) hey well i like the idea of backstage because it's like I feel like it could be used as a good um, euphemism, whereas instead of like trying to get to third base, it's like, oh, yeah, we got to get like backstage. Um. <laughs> sounds terrible. <laughs> one. It's terrible. I wouldn't say that to anyone. If I if they understood that I meant it emotionally. Emotionally. Or like, yeah, relationally. we got to get emotionally backstage. Socially, we're backstage. Yeah. Right? Like, what? How? what's this, what's this friend like? Well, socially, we're backstage. They're yeah. a little bit of a front stage colleague right <laughs> yeah, yeah like that would be the different versions of i don't it. think i don't think this really holds true if you were a theater kid though because backstage it's still very much performance, performance. yeah oh that's interesting but, um anyway i don't think kirk has a backstage this <laughs> i was is waiting my, for you to say this this, is, this yeah. is my my thesis is that kirk has no backstage and i'm not saying we never see kirk alone no, but i think yeah. the interesting thing about like when you do see kirk alone he's still performing mm-hmm. and like yes he's performing for the camera but in the context of the enterprise like what the fuck is he doing like he's right. so big in every moment of his life he's so much a performance is he performing um, for himself yeah. Or is so, it more like, is it, because I feel like it's more, it's more sincere than like he's performing for 
the people watching TV. No, yeah, I don't think it's that. I think he's he's a concept to others, but he's also a concept to himself. Like, oh yeah, I like that. Yeah, he like other people see him as a concept, like oh the captain, but like his own version of himself I'm, is I'm also so much a concept that like he's I'm constantly Kirk. performing Captain Kirk. That's interesting. And so the I think the writers lean into that, right? So mm-hmm. if you are a Star Trek person, um, there are a lot of episodes that hinge on Kirk performing Kirk or Kirk performing other aspects of Kirk or Kirk performing someone that is not Kirk while someone else performs Kirk. But of course, no one else can perform Kirk right. but Kirk. Right. Um, so you often have like, I, I'm inhabited by a spirit or like, I'm evil Kirk now. Or, right. Like, but it's always through the spectrum of Kirk. Correct. And, okay. and that Kirk himself exists in performance not in a personality of kirk so even when kirk is performing like oh i've been inhabited by a woman he is still kirk because kirk is the performance right do you know what i I mean and this this leads me to like what you always wonder like what is what does it look like if captain kirk goes back into his quarters i know sometimes we see this and he's alone yeah but he's usually perform you're right he's performing he's performing but i feel like when he's not performing he just goes into a corner and disappears or yeah, just powers like down no, staring at the wall like there's no version of that because i feel like the, you like the thing about star trek if you've watched it he his facial expressions i thought i coined the term shacting but of course i didn't No, it was previously coined but he's so he has such an expressive performance and it's not parody And you don't, it's so specific because when I laugh at what he's doing on screen, it's not that I'm laughing at him or I'm like, oh my God, it's such bad acting. It's not that. It's something like, oh my God, what is that person doing? It's kind of like, what is, it's like um, Nicolas Cage almost. Yeah. Well, or. In his better moments. Like I said, like almost lynchy where someone holds an expression for so long that you're like, oh my God, why are they still making that face? Right. What's happening? Like Dean Stockwell. Yeah. Like, like, like lip syncing. Right, right. Or, or Laura Palmer's mom, you know, like screaming yeah. for like five minutes and you're like, oh my God, stop. But mm-hmm. also you're fascinated by it. And then the other aspect of this performative quality that I'm identifying in him that is also really interesting to me is the dimension of gender. Because I think... Kirk is often perceived as this like masculine icon, right? Like he's like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to take my shirt off. And he's always like making out with another woman in every Mm -hmm. episode. And Well, I beg to differ, but we'll get to that later. Okay, sure. But there's a lot of womanizing. I beg to differ, but we'll get to that later. There's a lot of of staring provocatively at women and making facial expressions. Sure. And there's a lot of battling people in rings, like gladiatorially yes. without a shirt. That's true. I'll give you that. Um, there's a lot of like commanding, like, Spock, I'm telling you, we must go down to the surface immediately, you know, and pounding <laughs> on things. Um, so that's. I don't know if you ever did that. <laughs> Spock, <laughs> we gotta go down to the surface. <laughs> I... Dr. McCoy hit someone with one of those. <laughs> Those little hypodermics. Well, no, the thing that's interesting about the performance of masculinity there is that it says something both about Kirk and about American masculinity. Because American masculinity is itself a performance, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And Kirk's gender is so performative to the extreme that it belies an understanding or a consciousness of the performance, which then to me says that he's actually a much more malleable personality underneath that he's not like 
those are qualities that he's displaying, but they're not necessarily true, right? Like, I think, like, I was... Like, he knows what he's doing. He's like, I need to go be the captain. Yeah, and but also, But he does it like, even with himself. His performance itself is almost feminine in the extremity That's of interesting. the performance. Well, like, there is he's the a episode. drama queen. He's a drama queen. He, There's the it, episode with the where feminine he's quality possessed by a woman. By his old lover, Doctor Lester. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's and he's so big in a way that a lot of men aren't allowed to be big, right? Like if you think about like a lot of the classic, like John Wayne, right, where he's very like different, very reserved. very withholding of mm-hmm. emotion, whereas Kirk is like this explosion of. That's interesting because this was also 1966 through mm-hmm. 1969, so I feel like, I mean, if you're talking about classic male masculinity, he is held up as that. But then also, you're right, like, much more colorful. Yeah. He's he's than... a feminine performance of masculinity. Okay, that's a great sentence. Yeah. I love that. And I read somewhere that, like, they they were playing with the idea of making Kirk bi, and I'm all for it, because I think he already is bi. In the in the um, spinoff show. Yes. Yeah, that's going to spin off from Discovery. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see that in him. Anyway, this is this is what I've been thinking about with regards to Kirk is this this performative aspect that I think is actually pretty artistically groundbreaking in certain ways. Also, I think the show itself is obviously it uses the trappings of space travel adventure to explore the ways we perform versions of ourselves to others, right? Like Star Trek is oh, less wow. interested in science fiction than it is in interpersonal psychology. Like are you still you if you're an android body with your soul in it? Or like, if you're transported into the body of another gender, are you still you? If you're made insane by some unknown illness, who are you? Well, from the very first episode, the yeah. pilot, which we just watched pieces of in the Menagerie, part one and two, right? Yeah. Captain Pike is actually surrounded by complete illusion that is described as so real that, that you would you even suffer. Yeah. Where it's almost academic at a certain point, whether it's real or not. And in that, in the pilot, in the cage, that's rejected. But then in the menagerie, it's completely embraced when he's completely crippled. Yeah. So he can go live, he can go live this happy life that he rejected as false in the very first episode of the show that never aired. Yeah. I actually think the show is really interested in the fluidity of the self. I want to go back and ask like Gene Roddenberry and Jerome Bixby and these guys and be like, are you interested in the fluidity of the self? They certainly were. Well, I mean, if you look at episodes like um, Requiem for Methuselah, which is a a silly episode, but the guy has been living for hundreds of years. And in the end, you find out that he was Leonardo da Vinci. He was all of these different, he was Bach. Right, right. He was all of these different people, and he took on these personas and created these beautiful things. And that's why he has authentic Da Vinci paintings in his home that no one has ever seen because he's Da Vinci. So it's not a, it's not an artificial recreation. He he was those people, which is very strange. And then he's rejected all of it to be this guy, like living in a house on a planet in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's. I don't know. It's very, I think the concept of the self is a really interesting one. I I just think it's what makes Kirk so compelling is that he, he is the concept of the show. And yeah. The I agree with of that. Himself. Yeah. I think he is the show in a way. Yeah. 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 I think that this Captain Kirk is the aperture through which all of the Star Trek series are seen. I believe that Kirk is the lens through which we're supposed to see space and everything oh, like that, that happens in the show. 
I think if you don't have Kirk, it's not interesting because he's not just the character. He's your POV into everything that's being explored, discovered, struggled with, all of it. Like, I think you're seeing it through his eyes, whether it be Spock or whether it be some planet or some sort of war or conflict, you're seeing it through his eyes. And I so think that, that the show is like limited third person. Yeah. I, yes. Yeah, I think so. And I, I wouldn't even say this show. More importantly, I would say all the shows and movies that followed after are nostalgic for this series, specifically his POV. Like even the movies with him and the others, they're always looking back. And I think it's really interesting to this innocent time of space exploration. There are these, the other shows are good in their own right. And I've watched a lot of them when I was younger, like Next Generation. But I think it's, I think all of the shows are nostalgia pieces for the original series and specifically the aperture of Captain Kirk. And I think that without Captain Kirk's aperture on the space exploration story, you don't get Captain Picard and you don't, they all bring their own new thing to it. But the general narrative POV of the show is is him. That's my that's my theory. I like that idea that a show that's usually taken to be about the future is actually always about the past. Yes. And I, I think that everything looking back, even the new stuff, is and, and even of course the reboots, right? Where it's it's those are definitely nostalgia pieces. Well, yeah. And I don't mean it like in a pejorative way. I just mean that it's always looking back to this thing. What I'm trying to say is that Captain Kirk in the original series is the god of the Star Trek universe. Right, right. Right? Like, yeah. I think he, in a way, created all of these things directly or indirectly. Sure. But for this conversation, I wanted to talk about how I think that Captain Kirk is a child. And not in a pejorative way again, like, he's a child. <laughs> Look at this child. But no, I think that there is a piece of him that is that has arrested development. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Not necessarily in a bad way. There are places where it's bad, but uh, kind of by accident. So I think that he, and again, this is speaking to that POV I was just talking about. He is this childlike innocent in a way, right? He does a bunch of messed up things. And yeah, also he's the not show- totally innocent. Right, but also like he, and the show is very much a product of its time. So there's all those problems, which I want to talk about too. But I think it's his sense of awe that the entire series and franchise is seen through, but it is this childlike sense of wonder. You know, I was just reading about the scientific effects of awe, that if you have an awe-inspiring experience, like seeing the Northern Lights or um, something like that, that you're scientifically proven to be more generous in your subsequent interactions with people, like you'll Whoa. give more money to somebody who's asking for money or you'll help somebody clean up something more extensively. So awe is linked to this sort of generosity. <laughs> somebody sees the Northern Lights and then goes back into the restaurant and goes, well, let me help you clear those dishes. No, they did this experiment where they like Did you see those people... lights outside? No, they did Holy moly. They did this experiment where they took people to this forest and saw these like huge trees. And then one of the researchers like dropped a bunch of pens and then was like, oh, no, I dropped all these pens. And then people would, like, help him clean them up. But if it was just, like, back at the science building and he dropped pens, no one would help. Who were these people in the experiment? <laughs> the asshole person in the back of the science station going, yeah, you dropped some pens again. Anyway, my point is that Kirk is a generous person in a yeah, lot of ways. And, uh, He's generous with his self. 
people talk about how the show is very um, uh, idealistic, right? Or it was. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's key to all of the shows, which I think is nice too, because that start, that's all, I mean, that's starting to feel antiquated to in a lot of TV and a lot of culture for obvious reasons. But that sense of wonder and awe is very important. And I think it, it starts in his character. Like, I don't think that... Well, Spock certainly doesn't have awe. Well, he does. He always says, fascinating. Fascinating. Sure. Everything is fascinating. Sure. I mean, sometimes he says it like, that's <laughs> like, bullshit. I don't care. Yeah. yeah, or like, that's dumb. But I that's why I think Kirk is different from Captain Pike. Because if you watch the first episode... Jeffrey Hunter is playing the character like a gunfighter. He's playing it like John Wayne, hmm, which I think is what makes it really boring because then it's all about him. Now, I mean, no offense to Jeffrey Hunter. And the people who are playing Captain Pike now, I haven't seen some of it, but like Anson Mount, the, the actor, he's playing Captain Pike. Everybody loves Captain Pike, but I think that's because that Captain Pike is shot through the lens of Captain Kirk, which is what you have to do through every piece of the Star Trek universe you create. It has to, the last little ingredient in the Star Trek martini you're making is like a dash of Kirk. Every single thing. I like thing. the idea that he's like always watching. Yeah, I feel like he's the god. Like in Star Trek V when he's like, what does God need with the starship? He's God. I think that Captain Kirk has this childlike sense of wonder. And with that comes arrested development. As you pointed out, he's not John Wayne. That's very important. No, he's not. Because you wouldn't be able to have the colorful childlike wonder of it. So I wanted to talk specifically about this episode called The Enemy Within. And that was it's one of the first episodes of the first season when they're still trying to figure things out. But I really think this is where they crystallized a lot. This is the, this is the episode where he's split into two Kirks, which is great. Evil Kirk and... But that's not, it's not necessarily. No, okay. that. But that's All what's right. interesting is it's, you think that's what it is. And the, 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 the bad Kirk is really bad. bad. But, okay, so there's a... Just for, for folks at home who haven't seen this, there's a transporter accident because this one guy on the Enterprise, <laughs> the stuff they do by accident is so funny because it is groping in the dark for people in unexplored space. Some guy, they're doing samples or something on a planet surface and this guy falls off like the side of a uh, ledge and he gets covered in this strange magnetic yellow ore dust from the planet surface. And so when he gets beamed up, it screws up the transporter. And so when they bring Kirk up, they bring up two Kirks. The first one comes out and it was like, oh, I feel a little lightheaded. And then he leaves. And then when no one else is in the transporter room, it just turns on again. And then this other Kirk comes up. And what's great is it's so arched because he, he does the, the full turnaround into close-up with the underlit eyes. And you can see the <laughs> eyeliner. And it has the music sting. And then it goes to the commercial. So, but like you said, it's not, it's not as clear as evil Kirk and good Kirk. It's this, we, it, the good one is this kind of melancholy Kirk of indecision. As the episode goes on, he realizes he can't make clear decisions. And then the, the other one is this like animalistic monster who is terrible where he, you know, he wants to get drunk and imbibe and seize control and you know kill people if he needs to take what he wants but what's also interesting is that the um there's fear in this kirk hmm. which i think is interesting because 
that childlike wonder I was talking about, that fear is suppressed. But it's there because that fear is needed to keep himself alive and his crew alive. Right. So the fear of death is in this bad Kirk. He, at one point, he's like, I don't want to die. Like, he's, he, like, cries because he's afraid to die. Is the message that, like, bad people are cowards? No, the message is that, like, in your id is your fear of death, which helps keep you alive. Right, what right. They, what they realize in the episode, in a patriarchal way, I guess, because he's also this, like, awful monster, is that in order to be a successful captain and his whole self, he needs this part of himself. Well, no, that's not patriarchal. We all have well, the, we I'm all saying have parts it's like, of ourselves. You need are... to have the part that, like, almost, like, that sexually assaults your human. You know, like, that's not yeah, good. That's, that's not great. Yeah, but... It, but more on that in a second. Oh, you'll like this. This is where the green tunic comes from, is this episode. They invented his green shirt for this episode in order oh. to tell them apart. Well, I read that the gold shirt is actually green. It just shows up gold. Well, that's cool. Because of the, like, Technicolor film or whatever? Yeah, like... Well, this is... The, they invented the more that... more green one. They invented that kickback jack... Yeah. Kickback the, James. The like wraparound sweater. The, the, yeah. yeah. The, the like, yes, the wraparound green tunic was a way to differentiate the Kirks in this episode. It looks like a ballet sweater that you put on for warm ups. <laughs> it's, it's got the deep V. Yeah. Like the kind See, of left coast I'm saying. There's V. There's like a feminine performance of masculinity. I like, that. I like that. Okay. So he needs, okay. So nice Kirk needs bad Kirk in order to be this effective captain and make life and death decisions in an instant. And I would posit that he also needs the fear of death, right? In order mm -hmm. to help him make those decisions. Sure, sure. So he just doesn't endlessly, wistfully pontificate, which is what the other one, the kind of nice one, is doing by the end of the episode. It's like, well, I just don't understand why. So he's like me. Yeah, and maybe you when you're, he kind of gets morose. Yeah, yeah. So it is like you, right? Like he's kind of <laughs> gets morose by the end. He's like, I don't know, Spock. I just, um, you can just, he's in like the turbo lift and he's like, I just don't know what the point of it all is. You can read it on his face. Like, he's yeah. doubting being, like, captain of the Enterprise. Right. Okay. But my thing I want to explore in this is what is the ratio of Kirk to Kirk? So, it's not, I think it's simplistic to go, well, half is Sure, it's not one. one it's not. Half is the bad one. Is that one to one or is that one? I well, it's 50-50, right? Sure, 50-50. Sure, I mean. But I don't think it's. I don't think that's a correct ratio. Right. So what I was trying to do in going through the rest of the series was to see what the ratio is of the melancholy, nice, kind Kirk and the like asshole Kirk, mm -hmm. for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. Right. There are other versions. There are other episodes where we do like you were talking about, like the different versions of Kirk. Yeah. I'm not counting. I don't think that when you talk about the bad Kirk from the enemy within, it's not the bad Kirk from Mirror Mirror. Mirror okay. Mirror is the dark universe. Of Star Trek, right? That they accidentally cross into. Right. Again, it's another transporter accident. The fucking transporter. I think they would have figured this out. Right. Same way they And they do it a hundred years later. It happens about... again. They're like, whoops. They are constantly making this mistake with diseases where they're like, this man's sick. Let's all touch him and then touch our eyes. You <laughs> That's know? what happens. In the episode Miri, that happens where they're like, they beam down. <laughs> it's like, this is like 1960 Earth. And this dude runs up on them that looks awful. <laughs> He looks. I. I I'm glad our. I'm glad our son didn't see this episode because uh, it would have terrified him. And they immediately put their hands all over the guy. Like, hold on, just stop it. And he's like, and he was like fighting McCoy for a broken tricycle. And I'm like, man, they don't take any precautions. And then they all get uh, no. They're really not super virus really and are going to die on the planet. On the show, as you have pointed out. Yeah, always just beaming down the captain to the like, surface of an unknown. Let's send the head of the ship. The smartest person, the head doctor. Let's yeah. send them all down. They're immediately trapped in some sort of frozen cave. We're fucked. Okay, so 
Mirror Mirror Kirk does not count. that Because that bad Kirk is a Kirk that had a completely different backstory. Not completely different, but like an evil version of it. He's a different guy, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Because the, the, the split guy in Enemy Within is Kirk from our universe, from the show's universe. In trying to figure out the ratio, the correct ratio of good Kirk to bad Kirk, let's just call it that for sake of conversation. I was looking at possible bad things Kirk did or almost did to calculate this ratio, okay? Okay. So this is context for Kirk. Did he help clean up the pens? <laughs> Spock drops some pens and he's like, oh, Spock, he didn't Spock. didn't clean them up. Spock, let me get you those pens. Spock, you seem so nervous. You dropped all those pens. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so th- here's a couple interesting things. Now, I remember I was talking about ki- uh, Kirk being a kid, right? He's a yeah. kid. Mm-hmm. When he was a kid, this is stuff I'm, and I'm, again, I'm only looking at the original series. I'm not looking at any of the other shit, okay? Because there's too much of that shit. But a couple things are pointed out in his past. When he was a kid, when he was 13, because I think he's 34 at the start of the show. When he was 13, he saw 4,000 people killed. Cause That's he was, pretty traumatic. Yeah, he was, he was uh, living on this planet. This is in the, the episode Conscious of the King. Conscience of the King. Um, he was living on this planet with his family, and they were running out of food. So the head of the colony was like, we're just going to kill half the people, and then we'll be fine. And they weeded people out, and Kirk and his family were saved, and they took the other 4,000 people, and they put them in this antimatter chamber all at once and vaporized them. Jesus. Which is insane. So you're saying he was like arrested development at 14? I think he could have been frozen by that, right? Which is right. like, oh, my God. Like it was, He has like major PTSD. And also there's an awe in that. Sure. Seen Four thousand people just vaporized instantly. And it's like huh? also an instantaneous fear of death, which I do yes. think. I mean, I'm sure you're going to get to this, but as I'm thinking about it, I can think of a lot of Star Trek moments that involve Kirk not wanting people to die. Yes, he's very afraid of that. He's very he's afraid got of a healthy fear of death. Yes, not really like, for himself. Yeah. He's always like a uh, for I'll other die. People. You yeah. know? No, he doesn't seem to care much about himself. No, he's like, he's like whatever. Yeah, he's like I'll stay. The fire's here. I'll stay. Yeah. You guys go. But he doesn't no want reason other for him people to, to die. Yes. So th- that's a past trauma. And I, I, that could make you jaded, but I, it doesn't make him jaded, which I think is interesting, right? He's still, but I think it, it, it and if you were going to really examine the character, like that could have arrested his development. But what's cool is in the episode Conscience of the King, he finds this guy who ran the colony, who's been traveling around in the Shakespeare company to, to speak to Shakespeare. Um, well, it's a quote from Hamlet. The play's the thing wherein I'll catch yes, the conscience I of the king. I know it. Is. Okay. I'm yeah. just telling you. Are you the person that leans forward in the classroom and goes, that's from Hamlet? Yeah, I am, In actually. a group of people? Is that your performative uh, person? Where that's you're like, what I do. I, you know what? That's from Hamlet. <laughs> Did you guys, have you guys ever read Hamlet? Yeah, have you guys read Hamlet? Have well, you read Hamlet? that's a lesser-known quote. Well, look at the very erudite uh, writers of Star Trek. <laughs> so... What's interesting, though, in that episode is he's still about justice. So when he finds this guy, he doesn't, like, beat him to death savagely or, like, shoot him. They even bring him evidence where they have recordings of this dude back in the past, and his voice matches perfectly with the actor's voice. Like, the computer's like, 100% match, you know, whatever the computer does. Sufficient data. Sufficient. Yeah. But Kirk, he's like, well, I don't know. We're not sure. Like, he's, like, very much about justice. He's a super white hat in that moment. Like, they do prove it, but it's, like, they have to catch him red-handed. Well, are which they trying they do. to do, like, a Hamlet thing with Kirk where he's, like, 
indecisive, indecisive about it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I bet that's what's going on. There's actually, yeah, there's, um, yeah, the, the, this next thing I want to talk about is actually another thing from his past where there, he has this really, he has a big problem with indecision. Well, Hamlet is also has arrested development. If we're going to talk well, about arrested development. Well, but he's so moody, right? That doesn't work for Kirk. No, but like, but it, no, but I'm it not is saying it's a one-to-one a, correlation. But he, his bigger things, and again, that that if you're going to say good Kirk is the weaker side, the weakest thing you see is his indecision, hmm. which is interesting because you go to the, the, this other episode called Obsession. Before he was on By the Calvin Enterprise, Klein. no, you are my obsession. <laughs> Kirk sings that song in this. <laughs> what do you want me to be? I would pay to watch that. God, let's cut that. Let's cut that together. <laughs> what else are we doing? Okay, so in the episode Obsession, he, we realized that he, when he was younger, he served on this ship called the USS Farragut, and he ran into this killer cloud. Okay, just go with it. The cloud, like, went into the ship, and it killed 200 crewmen on the ship, including his captain. Which is super messed up. Like with biohazardous... They just died horribly. This cloud like went in and killed everything. Okay. But it was a sentient cloud. Okay. Okay. He blames himself. He's been blaming himself for this for years. This is what you find out in this episode is that he was indecisive. He thinks he was indecisive in a moment and hesitated to fire phasers on Mm -hmm. this thing. Which again speaks to his wonder and awe of space. What is that thing? Mm -hmm. He's Mm -hmm. about justice. The voice recorder matches. But maybe we got to look closer. Right. He's willing to give the benefit of the doubt a lot. But he's like, that cost the lives of my captain and 200 other people. It's it's later proven that if he had fired in that split second, it wouldn't have mattered, which is funny. So they let him <laughs> off the hook. But those two traumas are interesting. He's kind of haunted by these things, which I think speak to both sides of Kirk, right? Which is sure. the arrested development, the childlike wonder, whether it be the poisonous cloud the insane horrific act of violence that terrifies him in both cases and then feeling guilty and taking it all upon himself, which I feel like a kid does. Yeah, totally. Because a kid is like, what's interesting for a kid is a kid is the center of the universe. And if we're talking about Star Trek being through Kirk's eyes, the space where no man has gone before, it's all, Captain Kirk is the universe. He's the center of the universe. He sees himself as the center of the universe. Right. Which is also megalomania <laughs> in an adult. Solipsism. Okay. And so I was looking up some other stats. Uh, I was like, you know, if you were to criticize him for something, it would be maybe neglect. Like I was looking at neglect as a captain, right? Failure of duty. He lost 55 to 59 people on screen in the original series from his crew. In Not ori- a small number of people. No, because there's about 400 and something on the ship it's like 430 that's a good chunk of people yeah no it's it's, it's like real. an eighth of the people well, i did i did the math here but in in i know we're not going too much near the movies but in the motion in star trek the motion picture he's looking back and he says that he lost 96 people on the five-year mission oh. and you know we only see three years of the mission right in the original series and that makes sense sure i'm sure people died off screen too of course so out of, yeah, here it is, 432 crew members, five-year mission. That's 22% of his crew. <laughs> oh, my God. That's <laughs> a lot of people. If he lost 96 people, that's 22% of his... of his crew, which is like, and again, I'm going back to, if you put a kid in charge of a starship, they're going to, like, imagine one of our sons. 
No, a lot of people would die. There were a, lo- a heavy, and I think like a fifth, like a heavy fifth coming in, being like a fifth of the people died. Yeah. And then here's my last example of him as a, a good person, but a good person that Wait, screws up. Wait, is your up. example of him losing people on his ship an example of him as a good person? No, I'm saying that, oh. no, I'm saying that I've been weighing the ratio, right, of like right, good right, versus right, right. bad. So. On the but one he hand, loses twenty two percent of his. He's, just, he's like, right. I really don't want to lose. I don't want to lose one person. I'm gonna. St- I'm gonna stay. Right? Like, you go back. You know, you beam up. But he lost a fifth of the crew. <laughs> he right. still lost right. a fifth of his people. <laughs> so that's like, hey man. And then you know, if he hesitated with the phaser fire and two hundred people died, I feel like he has survivor's guilt. I mean, that's another. Yeah, that's another no. conversation. But I feel like he has survivor's guilt. Sure. Okay, so in this episode Taste of Armageddon, there's a there's a planet and they think that these plant these civilizations on this planet are like going at it with war. And it turns out that they're actually fighting in a simulation, so no one is dying. The war has gone on so long because That's it's, very performative. Right. The the so the war just keeps going on because there's no stakes. So the war's been going on forever. So what Kirk does is he gets both sides to agree to a ceasefire and begin discussing peace, which is great. Then he just leaves. That's Which is Kirk. incredible, right? Like, and 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 there is insinuation in subsequent Star Trek material that, that there was just nuclear Armageddon on that planet <laughs> that they everybody died. Okay, like everybody died, and he amazing. was kind of like, "Well, all right." Like, and that that well, because mean, he performed bringing them together. And he was like, "I've sure. done my job." Right, and but also speak to me. It speaks to his idealism and his optimism and his oh, innocence yeah, yeah. as a kid, where he's where like, he's like I, "I did it." They shook hands. That's I'm, it. Right? We did it. We did it, guys. Yeah. And that to me is like, that's the, the ideal of the explorer, right? Like, fixed it, you know, like right, Lewis and Clark, right. where it's like, look what we saw. And everybody else is like, we died. <laughs> right. Okay, so I want to talk about the bad side of Kirk, right? So we talked about he lost some people, but I think all of this kind of speaks to his childlike qualities, some of his innocence. Yeah. People died, so there was some selfishness there. Some bad things happened to them, but he was resilient. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's talk about some of the things that people bring Kirk up as as a bad thing about the character. You were talking about this earlier, which is the womanizing X-Men. Well, it's pretty <laughs> overt. Okay, so yeah, so here's the thing. I mean, the Star Trek universe is not misogynistic. Gonna, y- well, the yes. Original the original Star original. Trek. That's one thing that the new... They've shed a lot of that stuff, but kept this good part. Every alien woman on every planet wears a bikini top. Yes, that's a problem. I think that speaks more to the... Uh, Showrunners and and sure. the network. Sure. I will say then Kirk, but if because it's nineteen sixty, we're like Kirk's we got to get somebody to tune into the space show. No one's watching the space show. Let's all about it. sexy aliens. Put her in a put her in a ribbon. Also, they all have human bodies. Like they don't have. It's like she still has boobs, but she's green. Well, there green are boobs. Yes, there are a large disproportionate amount of humanoid people throughout space. Yeah. Obviously, the behind the curtain reason for that is they need to. It's cheap to put people in the <laughs> it's show. It's either humanoid aliens or it's a computer system. Or it's or a like poisonous a space cloud. Cloud. Yeah. It's an. It's like a cloud. <laughs> or yeah. Or it's flashing lights. Yeah. Yeah. It's flashing. You basically a robot, or or a mechanical <laughs> system, flashing lights or like, gorgeous women. Right. That's all you've got in the universe. Sounds pretty good. I do think that's a problem from the showrunners in the network because of the era, but. And I think at one point Spock says something. They try to justify it. it was like, that might explain the uh, over-prevalence of, of humanoid 
life forms throughout the galaxy. Are you about together. to justify Kirk's womanizing? By no, saying, I just okay. want to bring clarity to it. I'm not going to sit right. here and, and defend Kirk's womanizing. Okay, because this is, but it's not a problem. Just to clarify for me, it's not a problem that he has sex with women or has dalliances with women. It's more that the way he treats them by the end of the episode where he's like, and I'll never see you again. Every right. time. And he's usually hard- There's sometimes though he's heartbroken by it. Okay, so I did the math on this. I did the research. Kirk has only slept with four confirmed people in the entire series. Confirmed. Seven possible. Some of the, is that seven in some, addition possible? No, where you or? like watch the episode and you're like, maybe they slept together. Right. But it's not like for sure. Okay. Some of those encounters, he was coerced by pheromones or mind control or Common. external pressures like, oh, if I don't sleep with this woman, they're going to kill us because we're in this uh, captive area where we have to fight and do the things they tell us, including, um, you know, be with this young woman. <laughs> At least that's what it comes across. Not a as. fan. In the series, he kissed he kissed nineteen women in seventy nine episodes. I did the math on that. That's twenty four percent of the episodes he kisses someone. Twenty four percent. No, twenty four percent again. Terrible. See, this is what I'm talking about. You're like every episode. This is what people think because I think it is so operatic when he does it. It is. And one of the people he kisses is like uh, Uhura, right? Be- right. But he's made to do that. Literally forced physically to kiss her. Right. And likewise, the other direction. It's it's very performative, like you were saying, mm-hmm. right? His encounters, they're very they're very notable. Also, the ones where he's not coerced, I would say, even the ones where he's coerced, he thinks he's like madly in love with these people. Yes, he gets like under love spells a lot. Like Joan, this is, yeah. Okay, well, maybe you know this episode. My only interaction. Sorry, I'm I'm interrupting. No, you, you tell me. My only my only interaction with Star Trek prior to the last seven months or so was when I was in high school, I volunteered at our local library. And one night they said there was going to be a Star Trek, like a Star Trek lovers club or something. And the normal person who ran it couldn't be there. So could I run it? And I had no idea (laughs) what Star Trek was. And so I went home like a good, a student and Mm -hmm. watched an episode of some Star Trek show. It was not the original series. Maybe you'll know what it was. But the episode involved everyone being under love spells and falling in love with people on the ship. It was probably the next generation where they did the... That happened. It was the same thing that happened in the original series where they all go kind of crazy on the ship. Yeah, and they were all like in love with each other. And I remember being like, what is this show? And then I had to show up and everyone had like costumes on and stuff. And (laughs) like I had like... I was like, here are some Star Trek cookies and... I Did like, you make them? No, oh, I just that'd be amazing. offered them and I facilitated a conversation that I have no memory of. If that is the Next Generation episode, widely disparaged. Widely disparaged Well, it was episode. a bad episode. It was yeah, just it was whatever very, was on very TV. Much, very, very disparaged episode. Okay, so I want to keep talking about him with women. So in this episode, Miri, he meets this young girl and she, it, the one where the crazy gross dude ran out and they touched him and they all got sick. Right. They find a child named Miri, and she's like 12 or 13. And and they don't know why there's children on the planet because there's been no people for centuries. And they're like, what's going on? And then they realize that the children age one month for every year. So there's been children on the planet for 
a long time. Like and she's all been ad- 12 for right. 12 years. Yeah. And you start as a young kid, but it takes a long time. But when you hit adolescence, you become more close to being an adult and you can get the virus and then you die. So no, no adults live on the planet. And everybody's like, oh, don't become an adult. He's the one who can talk to her. He's the only one. This goes to my child. Right, right. Uh, he's the one who can reach Miri. There is some, I think, unintentional creepiness <laughs> with Miri. Sure. She like falls for it. She's like gets a crush on him, which is okay. And there's normal. a whole storyline where she's like on the verge of becoming a woman, which is talked about very horribly by Doctor McCoy and at all. I'm right? not and surprised. Kirk, right, where it's like I'm she's about surprised. to become a woman. You know, like all that stuff. Well, puberty is always the monster. Yes, and this isn't. Yes, exactly. That's the episode. And yes. This is in the first season. So he has this childlike emotional state. So he's able to talk to Miri. Then he, and he had, it, sings, it speaks to his arrested development that he's the one that goes and convinces the kids. They almost kill him, which is great, uh, with a wrench. <laughs> they beat him with a wrench. <laughs> but then you get one of your shacting moments where he's like bleeding. He's like, you've got to listen to me. You know, like, please. <laughs> uh, he, but he's also like, again, he's a bit of an asshole. Right. But again, in that patriarchal way that maybe it's like the writers coming through, where like at one point he tells Miri to clean something up. He's like, hey, Miri, can you clean that table over there? I was like, what? Why are you asking the kid? It's like, because she's like the only woman in the room. And he, I mean, like they brought uh, Janice Rand down, but like he does, he's like, Miri, I'm going to include you. Why don't you clean that table? Which is a little like, hey, asshole. Okay. But he can communicate with her because his spirit is that of a child. Right. Your but now we're starting to cross idea. over, I think, into... The other bad side, if you don't take that writing as like the guy typing in the CBS office being like, and then he tells the kid to clean up after him or whatever. In The Enemy Within, to come back to the episode where he splits, right? He's, here's, this is the biggest argument for Kirk being an asshole and and kind of like maybe a, a piece of shit, is he attacks his yeoman. Yeah, that's bad. I saw that it's scene, pretty, right? pretty intense. It was not yeah, good. Yeah, okay. It so, was not good. And it that's part of him, me. right? So this is part of him. And I think that's not great. Well, and, that's part of every man. Well, I get I mean, if you split me into my... Okay, I don't want to go there, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Janice, I, let's stop pretending. I, I just don't... It's awful. Let's just go with that, okay? It's bad. It's, it's bad. very and bad. It, 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 that, yeah, I'm sure a heavy percentage of men are pieces of shit for that precise reason. And I think a lot of it stems from that, even though, you know, he 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 kissed 24, 24% of the episodes he had a kiss, right? And he only slept with four confirmed people in the entire series. Like I keep saying confirmed. Four confirmed. It's bothering me. Confirmed kill. Yeah. Got it's him. Like... He's just doing a little drawing on the board. I don't like There's it. There's another one. I don't like thinking about men Seven. talking about, where, like, well, I've got four confirmed. Well, where do you think the fucking statistics for this shit comes from on the internet? Oh, no, I know. I'm sure you know who's writing that. Okay. But here's the problem with the Janice Rand stuff. In The Enemy Within, he attacks her. It's awful. The nice side of him doesn't seem to give a shit. That's a problem to me. Yeah, he should have been apologizing. Again, CBS guy, you know, typing away, you know. They're concerned with the evil Kirk, but like they're talking to her. One, this is hindsight perspective, obviously, but like one, don't put Kirk in the same room with Janice Rand after something like this happens, even if it you're convinced yeah. it's a good. And she's not, by the way. She's like, I didn't want to get you in trouble. It's terrible. He never addresses it with her. This is terrible. Even when he goes back to being one person, right? 
And Spock, this is actually a well-known moment in the show. Spock makes this really off-color joke to her that's like really fucked up at the end of the episode. That's really sad. He says, the uh, imposter had some interesting qualities, wouldn't you say, Yeoman? Which is like a really, oh. and, and she's like upset in the shot. Yeah. Which is, and they play the music it's like, not good. you know, it's like, it's guys, good. that's not cool. I don't like it. So I feel like even if it is the writers fucking that up, they're fucking it up and they're, that's, you now it's the character at a certain point. You go right. so far with the character, you're, you're doing something. Okay. Side fact, Grace Lee Whitney, who played Human Rand, she hated this ending of the episode, which is good. Well, yeah. Of course she did. Here's another thing. I don't want to talk about William Shatner, but... In order to get into the scene where she's attacked, he slapped her to get her into the emotion of the scene, I don't which like is that either. messed up. But again, you know, Shatner, if they were talking about the writers bringing in stuff for the character, Shatner's in there. Well, here's the interesting thing, though, is that we're trying to distinguish the writers from the character. And of course, there is no distinguishing the character from the writers who created them. But there is something about the character of Kirk that feels very alive outside of like a writer's room. Like it feels yes. like a real, it feels like. Not like a real person. That's not the right term because he's not real in any way. Like I said, he's almost surreal. But like you feel like he is an independent entity. Yeah. I mean, that's the best characters is when they just feel like they're autonomous. Right. And, like, like, and they're, you can distinguish the character from the actor where you're like, that's a character that I love. I don't. They're, they're telling you what to write. The one thing I yeah. will say is that The Enemy Within is such an early episode. But it does crystallize the character from then on. So I feel like it's kind of reverse in this situation. Well, because it gives still him this darkness that he's carrying the rest of the time, yes. which is this potential for sexual violence and this. Right. So if he's not like he's, he never has really a serious relationship in the show, but he's always sincere, at least in the show. Sure. And if he's, he has these like big, huge, like, I love this person feelings. Even if you look at City on the Edge of Forever, like he really is in love with Joan Collins, right? And he has to let her die spoiler alert he falls in love a lot but if you strip it out and you have this one awful side of him right like he, it's this awful thing where it's like a conquest it's terrible so oh, by the way janice rand she left the show early which was sad she's supposed to be a big character and maybe a love interest for for him but but the writers were like well, we'd rather he bounce from planet to planet which is sad she has a that character has a really good backstory in the novel enterprise that's the only piece of outside stuff I will plug because she comes to the, sh the ship when she's 16 and she has like this crazy short hair and you know she's actually underage and she lied and and uh, she comes from like this refugee planet sounds like another character I know I think it's a smaller percentage but I do think his identity is rooted in this id side okay the melancholy one is all who am I right but then you have the bad one is literally yelling I am Captain Kirk right right the other one doesn't care enough, right? So I think like mm -hmm. the Kirkness is in the bad one. Mm -hmm. The I like the idea of I'm Kirk, I'm Kirk, I'm the captain, like you were talking about, right? I'm this captain. Mm -hmm. It's in the bad side, I think. All the other nice nice stuff makes that side okay and not dangerous. Okay, right? Because you know, even the nice Kirk in the in the episode says, "Can half a man live?" Right, and the bad Kirk at one point yells. I want to live. So there's a complete opposite there, right? Where one's like pontificating, yeah. going, can I have a man live? What, you know? And one is like, I'm, I need to be alive. I'm right. Captain Kirk. Right. So I think most of his moral compass and ethics and humanity come from the nice part. But the cornerstone is the id Kirk. He is the captain. Also, he loves the Enterprise above all women. 
Yeah, no, I I noted that too, that the Enterprise is the only... But he refers to the Enterprise as a woman. Yes, and it's, it's, his, it's his long-lasting love affair. In, yeah. In, um, when his inhibitions are removed in naked time, and he's made highly emotional, as he can be, even more so, he says, love, you're better off without it. I'm better off without mine. This vessel I give, she takes. She won't permit me in my life. I've got to live hers. Now I know why it's called she. Well, yeah, I mean, then you get to, like, alien. Like, the spaceship is always a woman, right? It's a yonic figure, you know? So I feel like if I were to go back and do a rewrite on The Enemy Within, which I do think is one of the best episodes of the series, it's in my top ten, there should be a third part of Kirk running around the ship. This is what this would be my showrunner pass on it. Okay. Okay, so you'd have, you know, Lucy Goosey, green shirt, tunic, deep V. You know, melancholy Kirk. <laughs> Could have a man live, Buck. And then you have the animal dude drinking the whiskey. Right. I would have a a ten year old boy. Mm-hmm. That to me would be the full Kirk. Is if you had like a little 10-year-old boy running around in a little miniature uh, Captain Kirk uniform. This <laughs> is also awesome. reminding me of Norman Bates. Ooh. Well, that's a weird way to go, but well, sure. Well, I just feel like there's another developmentally interrupted child man who has these dark impulses. He lives in his base, you know, the basement, the id. Right. But he, but that's somebody. But that one is he, like, he doesn't, he doesn't have, have an awe. identity. He, he doesn't, doesn't have, have an, the awe. And his identity is all his mom. Right, so that's, right, right, that's right, right. That's where he's perverted right in a psychic way and then i guess in a normal way um okay so i would i if i did the showrunner pass on the enemy within i would have the nice kirk the bad mean kirk and then i'd have the little kid and i i put him right around 10 because i feel like that's just when you start to like girls but you don't understand why which if you're giving the heavy benefit of the doubt to the kirk relationships in the show even the kisses it's that. <laughs> that to me is Again, like, I kissed her. Sure. And I do think that Kirk, like, I think there's a lot of bisexual energy coming off of Kirk in terms of, like, he has this intense bond with Spock and mm-hmm. with McCoy. And it's like a, um, I don't know, I feel like there's, he, he has, like, almost, attraction isn't the right word, but, um, like, this is another person that I could be with. Right. I, I don't think Kirk exists without Spock. Yeah. That's very important. Uh, it's another podcast. But I do, th- and what I think is interesting is I do think Kirk exists without McCoy, right. which is the best interesting thing. That's the most right. interesting thing about McCoy's character to me is that he is expendable. We've yeah. talked about this, that if you were doing Star Trek today, he would be the character that would be on the chopping block. That's the right. one that you kill in season three and it really affects everybody and messes them up. Yep. So when even when I'm watching it now, maybe it's hindsight, like he almost dies several times and you're like, they could just let him go. Like, and the show's fine. Like the Enterprise goes on, like if you cut, if you killed Dr. McCoy, it'd be like, well, that was really sad. Remember the, remember the McCoy episode? God, when he died? All they'd have to do is have a little more precaution when interacting with sick people and they wouldn't need McCoy at all. <laughs> Well, a lot of stuff happens where you need the chief surgeon. Although he does a lot of stuff that he doesn't need to do at all. It's like, why is he here? Okay, anyway, that's a tangent. Okay, so here's my final ratio, okay? Okay, yeah, I'm ready. 81% hero, good guy. Okay. Okay. 17% asshole. (laughs) Okay, but wait, the asshole is also like the the one who makes decisions. Yes, he needs to make, but the, the asshole has the fear of death, right? From his past traumas. That's this is bigger than seventeen percent. Well, this is the thing. I didn't want to go the full twenty because he's. I feel like the he's too much of a, a. He's too much of a good dude. 
And I feel like he is a good dude because it's the it's the the heavy layering of the moral compass, like awe, amazement, the the sense of justice, right? Like we got to match the voice recorder. We, we we can't just go on that, right? You know, like all that stuff. And then, but then he is like this piece of shit. Seventy percent of him is a piece of shit. But that's the that's the where the name Captain Kirk comes from. That to me is where your performance comes from. But it is again filtered by. This kind of loosey goosey dude. Well, yeah, there's there's something about him though that's not either good nor nor evil, right? Yeah. He's not he's like Kirk is an entity that right. rises above a delineation of moral Which is what the best that's the best part of the episode, right? I mean the, yeah. the, the bad one does some really shitty stuff, but like but it, it it's not that clear cut and they need each other and at the end they, they realize that and the good one hugs the bad one. Right. right, but not the woman he assaulted. No, no, that's what. Again, if I were doing a showrunner rewrite, I would have him sit down with Janice Rand, and then I would actually up my percentage. In my or ratio. ask Janice Rand if she wants to sit down with him, and if she doesn't, say, "Fine, you never." No, have that's to right. See I would have again. an intermediary where Spock wouldn't make the joke. I'd be. He would go and he's like, "You want to? Captain Kirk would like to speak to you, but only if you were comfortable speaking, Captain Kirk. You know, we you can request a transfer. I mean, that's what yeah. would happen, right? Okay, that aside. So eighty-one percent. Good hero. Okay. Seventeen percent asshole. Where's but again, other... where the identity yeah, and clinginess is rooting 2%. from. Two percent. Two percent is a kid. Okay. But not just a kid, a dumb kid. <laughs> <laughs> He's a dumb kid. A dumb He's kid. the kid who goes, they shook hands. Right, right. Oh. Right. Right? He's the dumb kid. He's like fix that over there. Yeah. Whoops. I mean that's how he ends up fighting Spock, where he's like, What's going on over here? You right. know, he's like, or I'll go down with you. Like, I want to see you, see this this woman. Wow, you're right. Your palace really is beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's like, this is amazing. Then there's one other thing I want to, because I do love the character so much, is in this book, Enterprise, it talks about, and they couldn't do this in the series, but he does take Janice Rand when he first hires her, this is before all this crazy shit, to the viewing deck because she's so nervous to be his human because she's actually 16. And it's a very sweet thing in the book. And it was written by Vonda McIntyre, who's a very famous sci-fi author, a woman, which I think is important to this too, because the book is so much more, it's so much richer than some of the thinner parts of the show. But uh, he takes her into this beautiful viewing deck that you can't ever see in the show, where they have the windows where you can look out onto the stars. Right, there was so much of that shit in Next Generation. is like, every window looked out onto the fucking stars. But in the, in the original Enterprise, they just had one room, which is cool. And he brings her in there and they sit down and they look at the stars and he like talks to her and it's this very sweet moment and it's kind of uh, older brothery in this really nice way. And I feel like that plus him looking out into the stars is the best version of him, right? The awe looking yeah. out into the stars, being kind. That's the best version of him. Okay. I like that. That's Captain Kirk. That's how he sees the universe. That's how the Star Trek universe sees itself when it's operating at its best. And I think it originates with James Tiberius Kirk. I highly recommend Captain Kirk. If you've never seen the original series, I'd say it's enjoyable. Yeah, I love the original series. I, when I was a kid, I, I didn't really understand it. And then I, I watched Next Generation when I was an adolescent, I think, just to just turn it on. And I watched all of it. And I really loved those characters. But I, I the original is so great. I mean, down to, like, the color scheme, I love. I don't well, know why they haven't just the fully whole, leaned into sets, that. The sets are very surreal. Because they're... Cheap. Yeah, but I love it because it's so it it's like this weird, absurd it almost forces you to recognize that it's all um fake. Yeah, it is it's an absurd 
show. It's it, which really is what's great. Fantastic. Which makes it really, really surreal. Yeah, absurd and with like a capital weird A. Weird and bizarre and like you said, Lynchian at times mm-hmm. where you're like, what is happening? Yeah. They were just going for it. Okay, well, it's free on Amazon Prime. The show is also, you can watch it every night at eight on Heroes and Icons. Six nights a week, not Saturdays. And they just play it over and over and over again. They just, when it ends, it starts over and it's great. We immediately mute it when it starts Next Generation because it's like, yeah. I don't want that. No, it's not. I like that's that show a lot. speed right now. I like that show, but it's like, I don't, no, I don't want that. I want the, the weird thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Next week, we're going to talk about the novel Frankenstein. I'm very excited for this. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to do a deep dive on a piece of literature that you've actually taught. Yes, multiple so times. you teach this in school. I love it. It's uh, Here's the reason I wanted to do Frankenstein, just a quick heads up for next week, is that the novel itself is so much weirder and more fascinating and more like bizarre than you are conditioned to expect it to be. Yeah, and I feel like from what you told me, I, I haven't read it since high school, but uh, from what you told me, the character of Victor Frankenstein has a lot of performance in oh him. Oh my God. He's great. Right? Okay, but a very different, but a lot of performance. All right, so we'll be doing Frankenstein. I love it. I love you. I love you too. You've been listening to Spores, Molds, and Fungus, a podcast hosted by Chris Cantwell and Dr. Elizabeth Cantwell. Follow us respectively on Twitter. Chris is at IfYouCantwell and Elizabeth is at ECCantwell. We have Instagram, but don't go to it. If you have any thoughts or obsessions concerning Captain James T. Kirk, or if you've got anything else you might be obsessing over, shoot us an email at sporespodcast at gmail.com. See you next week, and until then, happy ruminations. <laughs>